Hey y'all, Avery here. I'm just popping in to let you know that what you are about to hear is an episode that was originally aired on the Bible Bash podcast, one of my absolute favorite podcasts out there. Back in autumn 2020, I had the honor of conversing with Liam Hooper and Peterson Toscano about God's gender in the book of Hosea. It's that conversation you'll be hearing in a moment. Unfortunately, there's not a transcript for this one. If you are interested in reading the notes that I took before we recorded this episode, um, please do reach out to me at queerlychristian36 at gmail.com, and I'd be happy to send those to you. And if you enjoy this episode, please visit BibleBashPodcast.com to learn more about the podcast and to explore its other episodes. Bible Bash is absolutely something you don't want to be missing out on, especially if you're Christian or Jewish or otherwise just interested in reading the Jewish and Christian Bibles through a trans lens, a progressive lens, um, a perspective that really takes things like climate change and current events in mind. It's truly an amazing, amazing podcast. Okay, without further ado, let's dive in. I think you'll enjoy. You're listening to a Rock Candy podcast. Welcome to the Bible Bash podcast. I'm Peterson Toscano, a gay, cisgender, northern belle currently living in the northeast of the United States. But soon, I will relocate to South Africa. And I am Liam Hooper, a trans queerish southern gentleman in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Today, Peterson and I have a very special guest, Avery Smith. Born and raised in Ohio, Avery Smith studied various languages at the University of Alabama. Avery attended Louisville Seminary and now resides in Atlanta, Georgia, with their wonderful wife and two cats. You can often find Avery translating biblical texts and ranting about Hebrew to no one in particular. A firm believer that binaries were made to be broken, Avery is both Catholic and Protestant. They also believe that divinity thrums through all of creation and breathes life into every human community, not just Christian ones. This belief led them to start up Blessed Are the Binary Breakers, a multi-faith podcast of transgender stories. Avery also runs an advice blog at Queerly Christian on Tumblr, and creates work centered around transgender theology and disability theology. Links to all their work can be found at blessedarethebinarybreakers.com. Avery Smith, welcome to the Bible Bash podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. So how's everybody doing? Um, really good. I'm a little nervous, but very excited about this, so... And as you two know, the text I'm bringing today comes from Hosea 11, and I want to talk particularly about God's declaration in verse 9, I am God and not a man, and how I interpret that as God rejecting the gender that we tend to assign to them, which is, you know, a binary male gender with the roles and personality traits that that stereotypically entails. If y'all don't mind, I figured... Before I read the passage, I would give a little bit of background on Hosea, just so it's not too confusing for listeners who aren't as familiar with that text. That's perfect. Thanks. Awesome. So, 
The prophet Hosea most likely spoke to the northern kingdom of Israel in the 700s BCE in order to warn them that the looming Assyrian Empire was going to conquer them. To Hosea, this could be avoided if Israel would just return to relying completely on God for their security and flourishing. Hosea believed that God was pissed off. Wait, am I allowed to say pissed off on this podcast? You can say whatever you need to say. <laughs> yeah, you can say worse and I can just say explicit and then we'll get more listeners. Awesome. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, well, God was pissed off at the way that Israel was asking other gods for help and trying to set up allyships with other nations. So Hosea comes up with various metaphors to explain all of that to Israel. But his wide array of metaphors kind of clash with one another. There was a way that my Catholic Bible explained that clash that really cracked me up. It said something like, look, Hosea was not a systematic theologian. He wasn't worried about making his different insights about God fit together. So basically they were like, yeah, okay, we get it. The image of God as a husband humiliating his cheating wife does not match with the image of God as a loving parent who refuses to act on her anger. Hosea contains multitudes, and that was as much as my Bible was able to tell me about why we have all these different metaphors for God in Hosea. I do want to admit before we really dive in that it was that first metaphor in Hosea, the image of God as a violent husband, that made me really nervous to even try to talk about Hosea. I don't like that image at all. It's one of Phyllis Tribble's infamous texts of terror. But still, one of my favorite things that I'm sure y'all will agree with is that when we read the Bible with a queer lens, we are willing to delve deep into these disturbing texts, and we will wrestle with them until they yield up a blessing. So I'm going to do my best to talk about this weird clash between God who rejects the label of man in Hosea 11, but earlier is depicted as a man with an unfaithful wife. So yeah, that's all the background. Let me actually get into Hosea 11. I'm going to read my translation, which was really hard to do. Liam, I know you're a Hebrew scholar. Have you ever looked at any Hosea texts in Hebrew? Because it is a mess. I read all of the Hebrew Bible in Hebrew. Oh, Liam, you're amazing. I love that. No, I just, you know, I started geeking out on Hebrew in divinity school and haven't stopped. Mm -hmm. So much so that oh, I became wow. a Jew. Yes, yes. I read it all and I have it pulled up in the Hebrew now. That's awesome. So when I read my translation, let me know if you think there's anything I could have translated differently. Because for me, this Hosea text is probably the hardest thing I've translated in Hebrew. There's a lot that my notes were saying, oh, this word could mean this. Or if there's a vowel missing, it could mean that. Yeah, I did my best. And I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 3 and then 8 through 9. I, I suspect you did a fine job. Carry on. Well, thank you. <laughs> we'll see. When Israel was a youngster, I loved them. And out of Egypt, I called my child. But as much as I called them, so they journeyed out from me. They keep on sacrificing to the Baals, and to graven images they burn incense. It was I, I who brought about Ephraim's first steps, supporting their arms. But they do not recognize how I have healed them. How could I give you up, Ephraim? How could I hand you over, Israel? 
How could I make you like Adma? How could I treat you like Zeboyim? My heart tosses and turns within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I cannot possibly act on my burning anger. I cannot go back to destroying Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come with terror. How did I do, it's Liam? Beautiful. Oh, I don't know about the, the that, but the reading was excellent. That's that's all I know about oh, is performance. Liam? Well read, and I think that that is more than an adequate translation. It's quite lovely in places. Okay. Well, thank you. I mean, there are always things we could nitpick about, but that would be another show. Oh, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> yes, yes. A very fun show. I would love to yes. be on that show, too. Yes. Just fight about Hebrew. Yes. So yeah, the passage, before doing anything else with it, I think we have to look a little closer at the Hebrew of Hosea 11.9. Because while I translate God's declaration as, I am God and not a man, if you open up your Bible, all excited to see whether it really says that, you might not find that wording in the English. Good old King James, as well as the NASB, both say, for I am God and not man. So not a man, just man, which to me is more like I am not mankind. The NRSV and NLT say, I am God and no mortal. And the Common English Bible and the message say, I am God and not a human, not a human being. But this verse is not using the Hebrew word for just any human being or for humanity in general. That would be the Hebrew word Adam. No, this verse uses the Hebrew word Ish. Which is gender specific, right, Liam? Well, generally, yes. Generally, yes. Yeah. Ish is is masculine, therefore we interpret that iteration of human as male. Isha mm -hmm. is feminine in Hebrew. Yes. So we interpret yes. that to be female. In my opinion, if the Hebrew of this text had wanted us to translate it as just God saying, I am God and not human, they would have used Adam. I do believe this word choice matters. For example, I checked out another more popular verse in the Bible, which is 1 Samuel 16, 7, which is often translated something like, the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance while God looks at the heart. Well, that verse uses that general non-gender specific word, Adam. So in that verse, it would be appropriate to translate in a non-gendered way to say something more like, for human beings look at the outward appearance. Indeed. But... I'm glad you agree with me, I, I agree wholeheartedly, yes. <laughs> awesome, because my argument hinges on that. <laughs> but yeah, in our Hosea verse, the Hebrew word ish is used. So we really should stick to that gender-specific word man in our translation. God is not saying only that God is not a human being, but that God is not a human man and is not gendered exclusively male. So we've got evidence that God is declaring here that God is not a man. That was step one. Step two is to ask, why does that matter? Why would God decide at this moment in Hosea to make a big announcement about their gender identity? I actually think that the really disturbing image earlier in Hosea of God the husband punishing a cheating wife helps us answer that question. That husband God is the ultimate man, the ultimate patriarch, the head of his household who is able to provide everything his wife could ever need, if only she would accept it. Instead, she goes after other lovers, which would be a huge blow to this type of man's masculinity. 
So what does he do to restore his manhood and put his household back in order? He strips this wife of all the clothing and food he used to give her and exposes her shame for all her lovers to see. That's back in chapter 2 of Hosea. And then, of course, when she realizes how helpless she is without him, she'll come crawling back. And that does and that should sound like an abusive cycle to us. Would y'all agree with me? Like, that's disturbing it's, it's, stuff, it is very right? very disturbing and very abusive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what is more, there's another very toxic masculine image that Hosea is riffing off of in, in his passage here. And that is that of the very king who is terrorizing Israel. In a book called Holy Resilience, the Bible's Traumatic Origins, a theologian named David M. Carr says, and I'm going to quote him, Hosea's picture of the people of Israel as a terrorized woman had parallels in Assyrian propaganda. Assyrian kings presented themselves as the most masculine of men, brutalizing and feminizing every opponent. Yeah. Sounds terribly familiar. Sounds terribly familiar. Yeah, I know, right? It was, it oh, was a common we... practice. Mm -hmm. It seems like it still is a common practice. <clears throat> yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Our powers that be are not that much different, unfortunately. You would think after thousands of years. But here we are. Yes. And so those are the images for power and control that are available to this prophet in his own world. And you're very right, Peterson. They're the ones in our world too, right? They are hypermasculine and dominating and downright abusive images. And he applies those to God because he's been taught that power equals masculinity equals violence. So if God is to be more powerful than the earthly powers that be, then God must be the most masculine the most violent. But we see in Hosea 11.9 that God adamantly rejects being gendered male, especially in the face of the toxic masculinity forced on those we gender male. I am God and not a man, and that is why God says, I will not come with terror. And so while I really hate Hosea's more violent metaphors for God, I also can appreciate them for what they force us to confront. Things like what we imagine true power or divine power to be. Do we also assume that God's power is like the world's power, all about control and violence, just scaled up to divine proportions? Or can we understand God's power as compassion, as relationship, and choosing to restrain that power in order to protect others? Furthermore, and don't worry, I'm getting close to the end of my spiel here, guys. Furthermore, I think that the way that Hosea tosses out one metaphor after another in quick succession, painting God as a husband, and then a lion, and then a bear, and then a loving parent, and oh, look at that, God's a lion again. In all of that, the prophet Hosea is just throwing spaghetti at the wall, seeing what metaphors for God stick, what ones resonate. And I think that's actually something we can try out too. It reminds me of how when I was first exploring my own queerness, I tried out tons of different pronouns and gendered terms just to see what really resonated with me and what words I thought would help other people understand and know me better. Doing the same thing for God, imagining God in constantly new ways, rather than sticking to the words and images we are most accustomed to, can help us catch ever bigger glimpses of who God is. A God who refuses to be pinned down into one human category who is just too vast for one metaphor to encapsulate.
And that is where I will shut up for now and ask y'all what you think. No, because I just keep talked going, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> yeah, what I think is beautiful about this is that while we're given to assume that Hosea's author intends for us to read this as a husband's loving response, it calls up for mm. me a real sense of what we think of as more feminine attributes or more mm. feminine okay. qualities. So there's this contrast between the language from the very first verse, when Israel was young, I fell in mm -hmm. love, all the way down to how can I give up? My heart is troubled within me kind of language doesn't sound like how we are used to hearing men speak, because we've yes. so hyper-masculinized the idea that men cannot be emotional, mm -hmm. which we know is not true. But it also reminds me of the very first verses in Genesis, where we see the reference to the Spirit of God over the deep and over the darkness. Right? Yes, and yes, yes. That Hebrew word actually also means hover, yes, but it also means to flutter like bird's wings. Therefore, yes, it also yes. means to brood. And so you get this image of this motherly, huge, bird-like entity, not mm, only attending mm. to creation, but hovering and brooding over it, which is something that God does. And then you have Rafa, images of healing mm, mm -hmm. that are in contrast to these, these hyper-masculine images that Hosea has set up. And then you have God coming out and saying, I am not Ish. Yes. Which yeah. is really powerful. And from a literary point of view, it makes me think about authorship and, and what it's like in my own writing to sort of wrestle with my own voice and for that to change over time. Like, is this really what I mean? Right? And, Ooh, and yes, yeah. that makes it difficult to decide when a chapter's done, right? Like, because you can keep going back in and say, well, that's not really what I mean at all, which T.S. Eliot did all the time, you know, in, in his poetry. Oh, that's not really what I mean. Mary Oliver does it. So what I mean to say is, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Yes. Because yeah. it evolves as you do it. The theology moves, mm -hmm. even as the prophet yes. is speaking. Yeah, that's so true. I'm not a Hebrew guy. I was too born again when I studied the scriptures. And I thought... <laughs> that's okay, Peterson. I thought Koine Greek you. was the holiest of holies. And it was boring as snot, I have to say. <laughs> Hebrew is so much more interesting. Um, anyway, but there is a couple things that you bring up that I, I think is worth highlighting, Avery. One is like when you do this word study, and I liked how you compared the different translations and how they translated that Hosea passage. It reveals that these aren't translations, they're commentaries. And, and people will often ask yes. me, what's the best translation? I'm like, you have to understand there is a team of people making editorial choices about which words to use and how to use them. And that is commentary. That's not a straight translation. And I love what you do then is you say, well, let's compare how is this done somewhere else to show this does stand out. It's not just some strange idea that you came up with. It's not consistent with other ways. And so that's a great way of doing that kind of word study. The second thing you got me thinking about, and I want to now reread Hosea aloud, because mm -hmm. these prophets were performance artists, and they worked yes. in an oral tradition. They were not writers like we're writers, where they're tinkering with a document. Parchment was expensive. Often things were dictated. And so a lot of this was spoken, and it makes me wonder about voice and character. Are there different points where he's actually taking on a different persona? And if you were to hear it, you would hear a character saying some of these oh. things. 
I mean, it's quite possible that he's kind of working through concepts, as you will both suggested. But I also wonder if it's him playing to an audience as a Ooh. character, and then he counters it with a different character. And if there are Ooh. performative ways of, of doing that in the reading of the text. So you're saying that maybe with that image of the abusive husband, he is playing up to their expectations about power with one character only to later say, actually, here's an image that you might not expect. Right. A, a declaration from God you may not expect that completely subverts what you just heard. Exactly. Right. And we also don't have the visuals here because a lot of times these prophets mm-hmm. use costume, props, all kinds of things to get their yes. point across. And so mm-hmm. kind of maybe add an element or two to this that we, we don't get in the text and it could really give it a different kind of life that could help it to be more of a performance piece. The other thing I love this idea where like one type of masculinity is rejected and a different one is being embraced. I I love Mm -hmm. that. I'm going through this mindful masculinity course right now where they're talking about how can we co-create, you know, the kind of masculinity we want to see in the world and what does that look like? What I love about what you've brought out here, Peterson, it calls us to remember what, certainly in Christian contexts, we're disinclined to even consider, (laughs) is that this is high literature, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? This is really intentionally crafted high literature and very, very intentional poetic tropes. And I think what both you and Peterson bring together in this particular aspect of our discussion is that Hosea's author knows, I have to take what the people think already and reframe that, right? The people have already been conditioned to see God as this very oppressive, but forgiving and merciful and kind and loving male warrior type God figure. If Hosea is going to get their attention, Hosea's character has to first speak their language and then reframe it, which is part of what literature does, particularly when it's being prophetic, right? When it's saying, oh, wait, no, we have to rethink this. You have to start where people are and then pull them in. And I think that's what we see in Hosea to give the author some real literary credit. In fact, it's almost like he presents this type of a man and says, I'm not that type of a man. In fact, I'm not even a man. Like, let's just, (laughs) helping them along in this progression, let's open your mind a bit here. (laughs) Yes. It's very much, we have a signed God male. And so for God to reject that and say, no, you've assigned this to me and I'm not that, that is a very trans narrative, right? We are all assigned certain genders, usually at birth. God, of course, not at birth, but to reject it then, that's a, that's a trans thing. It's a queer thing. I agree with you so much that we need to give Hosea more credit there. And while also knowing that Hosea is also part of this society that has absorbed these ideas about what power is, because after Hosea 11, this beautiful declaration from God about not being a man and refusing to come in anger and terror Hosea switches back to threats for a while because there's there's 14 chapters in, in Hosea. And so Hosea has, as a prophet, switches back to some threats about God being a bear or a panther again and threatening to like attack and eat <laughs> Israel. A lot of progressive Christians and maybe progressive Jewish folks do this too. So you might know, Liam, a lot of progressive Christians are aware that calling God he all the time is an issue. 
but they don't take the extra step to saying, okay, well, maybe I can expand and use other pronouns for God. Maybe I can call God she or they or Z sometimes. And so instead, they'll just avoid pronouns for God entirely. And so you'll get things like a pastor saying, we are here today to worship God who has gathered God's people to God's self, which is all well and good. People will likely notice what the pastor is doing, but their own brains will almost undoubtedly continue to supply he pronouns for God because um, they're because he pronouns and maleness are the default in our language and our culture. So unfortunately, being neutral and using nothing tends to have a very similar effect to just using he pronouns. And I have a little anecdote from my own experiences that I think kind of backs that up. I noticed that in seminary and certain churches I would go to, my teachers and my pastors were doing for me what they tend to do for God, which is to avoid pronouns entirely. I assume it's because they were scared of messing up and accidentally misgendering me. So instead, they would just use my name over and over. They would be like, hi, everyone, this is Avery. Avery is here to share Avery's insights about the reading, blah, blah, blah. And it's fine. It's better than misgendering me. But I noticed that when the leaders, the teachers, the pastors would do that for me, my classmates or the congregants were continuously calling me she because their brains heard the sentences devoid of pronouns for me and supplied the pronoun that they thought fit me best. But as teachers and pastors and other leaders started using they pronouns for me intentionally, my classmates and the congregants would start using they for me too. They would start getting it right. Because suddenly their brain wasn't being fed nothing that it had to fill in for itself. It was receiving an example of how the pronouns worked. And so it helped expand their minds. Well, one of the features of this show is that we always have another text, a non-biblical text. And Avery, I believe you have something prepared for us. Just so y'all know, this is a poem that definitely brings in a Christian perspective. It's about God as incarnate in the person of Jesus. So I am shifting us over for this bit to Christianity a little bit, just so y'all know. It's a poem that I wrote, I think, a couple years ago called Binary Breaker. And it's in my book of poetry that you can buy called The Kingdom in the Rubble. It's only on Amazon, unfortunately. Like the ocean, pouring and pouring and pouring itself into one small cup, you limitless, folded your infinity up into the fragile skin, the curving spine of an infant, your universe shrinking down into a womb. The very notion is laughable. The creator of all things crossing the divide into creaturehood, permitting a human womb to form the being that has been since before the beginning the all-powerful stripping power off like an old coat and stepping into vulnerability, into needing and learning and taking tottering first steps and hungering and thirsting and even dying. Life itself dying? I cannot get my head around it. Compared to your flouting of these ultimate binaries, creator and creation, life and death, it should be a simple enough thing to comprehend my moving 
out of that silly, still young binary, woman and man. So, as you people scratch your heads and shake your fists at what you claim is not possible, what you screech defies nature and therefore God, the two of us, I, a little not-girl, and Jesus, God and human, laugh and skip rocks together on the ever-shifting curve of sand where ocean kisses the shore. Avery, tell everyone once again how they can find you uh, and what they should look for. If you go to blessedarethebinarybreakers.com, you'll find links to where you can find me on Tumblr, Instagram, wherever the heck else I am. Oh, YouTube. You'll find a lot about transgender theology. And I also have videos on YouTube about disability theology. And I've got my podcast. Find that all on blessedarethebinarybreakers.com. Which is an excellent podcast. When I first listened to it, I was just so pleased with the quality <laughs> and the thoughtfulness behind it. I, it clearly shows that you take a lot of time to prepare for each episode. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Avery, for being our guest today. And thank you for listening to the Bible Bash podcast. Our show is a part of the Rock Candy Network. The Bible Bash theme song is Playbill by the Jelly Rocks. It is available on iTunes, Spotify, or through Rock Candy Recordings. If you have questions, comments, or requests for passages you want us to cover, or even guests you want us to have on, contact us by email. That email address is ministriesbeyondwelcome at gmail.com. Ministriesbeyondwelcome at gmail.com. Bible Bash is a project of Ministries Beyond Welcome. Learn more at ministriesbeyondwelcome.org. You can reach us on Twitter. Tweet at us at beyond underscore welcome. That's at beyond underscore welcome. If you like what you hear here, and we certainly hope that you do, you can... How can they not? I know. Really. It just (laughs) gets better as we go, I think. And you listen on Apple Podcasts. Please rate and review us there. (laughs) Thank you for listening. We can't wait to be with you again for our next bath.